Hello, I'm Major Adrian Allman. And I'm Captain Claire Allman. Welcome to the Birmingham Citadel Salvation Army podcast series. Birmingham Citadel is a Christian church located in Birmingham City Centre here in the UK. Each episode is a recording of the Bible message that would normally be shared during the Sunday worship service. While we are unable to meet together for worship, we will publish our podcasts at 10am every Sunday morning and you can also see daily videos on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. It's good to have you share with us and as you listen now, we pray that God will speak to you. May you know God's abundant blessing today. Good morning. I'm always fascinated to read the humble beginnings of some of the most well-known companies. Morrison's, for example, began in 1899 when William Morrison sold eggs and butter on a stall in Rawson Market, Bradford. Boots started out in a small shop in Nottingham in 1849 by founder John Boot and he sold herbal remedies concocted by his mother. Richard Branson set up Virgin in February 1970 as a mail-order business specialising in cut-price vinyl records. Microsoft was founded by childhood friends Bill Gates and Paul Allen in a garage in Albuquerque, New Mexico on the 4th of April 1975, developing software. Nike was started in 1964 by college runner Phil Knight and his track coach Bill Bowerman in Oregon with just £380, that's just over £3,000 in today's money, and they operated out of a boot of a car selling Japanese running shoes. The iconic American motorcycle manufacturer Harley-Davidson actually started out in 1904 when the founders William Harley and Arthur Davidson assembled their first motorcycle in a shed located in the Davidson family's backyard in Milwaukee. These are all ventures that started small and yet today they are international institutions. All of these companies had a base which they established that became a stronghold from which they could branch out. And Christianity had something similar. I want to pick up in the book of Acts at the point where Claire finished last week. Peter's vision at the home of Cornelius had been a significant development in God's salvation plan. It indicated that God intended that salvation should be not only for the Jews, but also for non-Jews too. As a result of the persecution of the early church, a number of the believers had fled Jerusalem for safety, and they'd found themselves spread throughout the region. And one of the places that had become a stronghold for the believers was in Syria, in the large town of Antioch. Antioch was about 470 miles north of Jerusalem. And it's this church in Antioch that I want to focus on today. So if you've got your scripture reading, why don't you turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 11, beginning at verse 19. And we read this. Now those who have been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. 
He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So, the Lord had already revealed to Peter that repentance, forgiveness and citizenship in the kingdom of God was for both Jews and Gentiles. And one of the first things that we read about the believers that, has, that had established themselves in Antioch is that they'd already begun to tell the Greeks there about the good news of Jesus Christ. They were already reaching out to all. They'd grasped the mission of God and were sharing the love of Christ with all in the hope that everyone would come into a relationship with Jesus. In times of persecution, having fled difficulties in Jerusalem and established themselves in Antioch, it would have been very understandable for them to set up a secure private club-like establishment where secret meetings and codes of conduct ruled with passwords to get into certain houses. But they didn't. Far from focusing solely on their needs and their wants, the believers in Antioch sought to include people who were different from them. They did this without any instruction from the founding church back in Jerusalem. In Antioch, the first multi-ethnic church was forming. The American pastor Kerry Newhoff says this, the gravitational pull of human nature is towards self, not towards others. And churches behave the same way. You will focus almost exclusively on your needs and wants, unless you decide not to. And that's exactly what far too many churches do. Focus exclusively on the needs and wants of their members. By definition, your church needs to include people who are different than you. Instead of running what you do through a filter of what you like, run it instead through a filter of whether what you do is effective in reaching the people you're trying to reach. Wow, that's quite a challenging thought for any established church. You know, the early days of the Salvation Army were marked by activities done because they were effective in reaching the people that were not being reached by others. And one of the great questions for us all to consider when we consider this new normal that the church is going to have to embrace as a result of this pandemic is this. What are the effective things that we do that we actually need to keep going forward? What are the effective things that we do that we need to keep going forward? You know, churches that become private clubs don't work and there are far too many of them our church needs to include people 
who are different to ourselves. So, what do we need to do to make that happen? Significantly in what the believers in Antioch were doing was the Lord's hand. Verse 21 in our text tells us that the Lord's hand was with them. You know, it's the Lord who draws people to himself. Salvation is the Lord's work. We need to help create the conditions in which God can do his work. When the church in Jerusalem hear of the work happening in Antioch, they send Barnabas to discover more. And on arrival, we read that his first job is to encourage the believers. But Notice as well, Luke is really keen to stress Barnabas's own nature. Verse 24 tells us, He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Here we have a devout man of God. The Lord does the saving, but in the case of Barnabas, Barnabas helped create the conditions for God to work by being a good, godly man, full of the Spirit. The way in which we reflect God in us is going to be crucial in our reaching out to all. We are to reach out to everyone, to all. I don't know whether you're aware of this week, we should have been watching the 2020 Olympic Games from Tokyo. But like many events, it's had to be postponed due to the coronavirus. In its place a few days ago, the BBC showed a programme of the 25 best UK Olympic moments. It includes great triumphs of gold medals won. But one of the highlights was not a medal triumph. It was a moment at the Barcelona Games in 1992. There, the British sprinter Derek Redmond was in a great position to win the 400 metres gold medal. In the semi-final, Redmond started well, but in the back straight about 200 metres from the finish, his hamstring tore. He hobbled to a halt, and then he fell to the ground in pain. The stretcher-bearers made their way over to him, but Redmond decided he wanted to finish the race. And whilst most athletes would have just given up and submitted to defeat, bent over and cried, Redmond picked himself up off the ground and he started hobbling towards the finish line in his lane. And then just when it seemed he might not be able to continue because of the pain, only a hundred metres out, Redmond's dad barges his way past all the stewards who are trying to stop him getting onto the track from the stands and he pushes them out the way and he catches up to his son on the track. He puts his arm around his son who cries on his shoulder and the two of them finish the race together with Redmond's father encouraging him all the way. Without his father's encouragement, he wouldn't have got to the finish line. Verse 23 tells us that Barnabas was an encourager. His very name means sons of encouragement, according to Acts chapter 4. And his first act on arriving in Antioch, as we read earlier, was to encourage the believers. 
We then read in verse 25 of our text that Barnabas goes to Tarsus from Antioch to look for Saul. Why did he do that? Why was he wanting to bring Saul to Antioch? Barnabas had no doubt met Saul in Jerusalem and gotten to know him, and so their friendship grew. Barnabas quickly deduced from what he saw in Antioch that there was a great opportunity for the ministry in Antioch to grow. But to do this, Barnabas and the believers needed help. So Barnabas reached out for help to Saul. There were others he could have chosen. In Acts chapter 6 verse 5, when the church in Jerusalem selected its seven elders to look after the food distribution, one of those elders chosen was Nicholas from Antioch. Well, a native of the city would have been a useful help to Barnabas, wouldn't he? But no, instead Barnabas chose Saul. Barnabas saw in Saul the gifts needed to develop the work in Antioch. And also, more than that, I wonder if he saw opportunity to develop Saul's faith and gifting by bringing him to Antioch to be part of this new mission opportunity. Was this not Barnabas reaching out for help for himself, but also seeking to encourage Paul, Saul, in his ministry? Christians need to enlist others and encourage others in their service for the Lord. It's what we should all be doing. It was certainly one of the great preacher D.L. Moody's policies that each new Christian be given a task soon after they were converted. At first it might have only been passing out hymn books or ushering people to their seats. But as far as Moody was concerned, each convert had to be busy. Moody would once say, it is better to put ten men to work than to do the work of ten men. I like that quote. It's better to put ten men to work than to do the work of ten men. And it's interesting that many of Moody's assistants would become effective Christian workers in their own right. And of course, that then would go on and multiply the Christian witness. Asking for help is one of the hardest things to do. I certainly know that as a leader. But you know, it's essential. If we are going to reach out to all and develop God's mission to all, then we also need to be prepared to reach out for help. The founding church in Jerusalem viewed the church in Antioch with great respect and value. That's why they sent Barnabas there to minister. And then Barnabas will go on and enlist Saul. Now here in verse 27 of our text as we move on, we read that whilst Barnabas is in Antioch, prophets from Jerusalem visit. It was clear that the church in Antioch was beginning to have an impact throughout the region and further afield. And one of the prophets stands up to deliver a prophecy, a message from God. Luke, in his writing of Acts, makes an important point. He stresses that this prophet, Agabus, was under the inspiration of the Spirit as he spoke. The Spirit 
The spirit was the source of the prophecy spoken by Agabus. This wasn't a strange individual spouting his own personal thoughts. This prophecy was a graphic example of the dynamic work that the Holy Spirit was doing in Antioch. Now, unfortunately, the prophecy that Agabus brought did not convey good news. We all want to hear good news, don't we? During this pandemic, we've yearned for good news each day more than anything else. In our faith, we want to hear about how God is going to bless us and use us in mighty ways. What we're not so eager to hear is about some coming disaster or hard times. What's even worse is that none of us like being the bringer of bad news. And so all credit to him. Agabus was not in any way deterred from telling truthfully what the Spirit had inspired him to say, that a dreadful famine was coming that would affect them all. As Luke tells the story, he confirms that the prophecy Agabus made was certainly fulfilled. Verse 28 states that a famine did occur during the reign of Claudius. And this is supported by what we know of the history of that time. Claudius reigned as Roman emperor from AD 41 to 54. And scholars will verify that his reign was indeed marked out by a succession of bad harvests and serious famines in various parts of the Roman Empire. Agabus delivers his prophecy and Agabus's prophetic word demanded a response from the believers in Antioch. The church at Antioch saw that there would be a great need throughout Judea, and so they started to lay aside funds straight away. They didn't hesitate. It's significant that there seemed to be a full participation in this offering. It wasn't just one or two, it was everyone. Each of the disciples gave in proportion to his resources. I'm quite a believer that authentic Christianity is more about what we give than what we get. Our giving doesn't earn us any way, in any way, salvation. Of course it doesn't. But actually our giving is a joyful response to a God who gave everything for us. During this pandemic, the gracious giving of members of our congregation to support our church and our community work has been a blessing to us. And I want to thank you here in, in our address today for all your giving and your continued giving. The church can do a lot when they do it together. And what's amazing here is that this is not the founding church supporting the planted church. It's actually the other way around. Even on the mission field, this newly formed church was setting aside funds for the mother church back in Jerusalem. This love, of, this love offering was given to provide for the poor back in Jerusalem and Judea at a time of famine. When the chips were down, the church at Antioch wanted to reach out to the mother church in Jerusalem and beyond. I sometimes hear people suggest that the church should not do social work and should concentrate on evangelical work. I've even heard it being said during this lockdown by some who think that food parcels and our relief work is somehow not required as other people can do this. 
Certainly our army founders always suggested that if, if others could do work that we were doing, we should let them do it, but that we should move on to the other work that no one else was doing instead. Social work was at the heart of who we were from day one. Work to support the poor and those who struggle has been the essence of Salvation Army ministry since we were first raised. And I believe that effective mission involves both social ministry and the sharing of the gospel going hand in hand. God clearly has a heart for the poor. God clearly has a heart for those who are suffering. And I believe we have a God-given mandate to serve the poor and stand for the oppressed. It's integral to the Christian faith. It's paramount in the teachings of Jesus. And it's inherently part of the character of God. And any serious follower of Jesus must take seriously their responsibility to the poor and those in need. In Antioch, when the chips were down, the believers reached out. In one of his books, General Frederick Coots reminded Salvationists that William Booth was... First and last an evangelist, but never an evangelist who was content to preach sermons and then count the heads of kneeling penitents. He understood the biblical word salvation as bringing health, physical, mental and spiritual, to everyone. I think Coots's reminder of Booth's words is very timely. And I don't know about you, but that holistic approach to ministry certainly resonates with me. Today we've seen how important the church at Antioch became. Barnabas saw it firsthand, as did Saul. And they would use Antioch as a base for, the mission, for their own missionary journeys over the next few years. The church at Antioch reached out to all. Barnabas reached out for help. And when the chips were down and famine struck, the church at Antioch reached out to fellow believers. It asks some very pertinent questions, doesn't it? Do we reach out to all? Do we reach out for help? And when the chips are down, do we reach out to others? In our Bible reading, it tells us that when Barnabas arrived in Antioch, he saw the evidence of the grace of God and he was glad. You know, when the grace of God works in us and through us, then we do his mission. And it's certainly amazing. As we reflect on the ministry of the word today as we think about some of the things we've considered as we consider this whole idea of reaching out to all reaching out for help and reaching out to others let's just be amazed at the fact that the grace of God can do great things just as he was doing at Antioch listen just now to that beautiful melody your grace still amazes me and may we be amazed by the grace of God in our presence, in us, today.
Let's pray together. Father God, when Barnabas arrived in Antioch, he could see the grace of God. The hand of the Lord was upon him and he was glad. Well, as we consider the grace of the Lord in our lives, we are most glad that you work out your will and purposes in us. We, we certainly recognise that you have given us a great mission, a great commission to go and share the good news to everybody, to reach out to all nations. And at times that's quite a challenge. It sometimes means embracing people who are very different to who we are and making sure that what we do is attractive to all. Lord, may we always be relevant to the society in which we live. And Lord, we recognise that doing this work of mission, we can't always do it on our own. And so the importance of encouraging each other and getting the help that we need is evident. Lord, may we be good encouragers, not critics, but encouragers, encouraging each other in the sharing of the gospel and in the work that we do. And Lord, as we've been reminded during this pandemic, when the chips are down, then that's the time to reach out to others sacrificially. And as we consider this time of pandemic, we realise that it's not over by a long way. And so we just ask that we will be your servants in this world, doing your work, bringing a sense of relief, a sense of help to those who are struggling as a result. Lord, your grace is a wonderful thing. We know it for ourselves. And so today, may your grace always amaze us. May your grace work through us as we do your mission in the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. So you don't miss any further recordings, please subscribe to this podcast and also share and review it to help other people find and join our Birmingham Citadel online congregation. This has been a production for Birmingham Citadel Salvation Army in the United Kingdom. If you'd like to know more about us or want to worship with us, then visit our webpage at birminghamcitadel.co.uk.